Hey, welcome to the Scuttlebutt. I'm Rich Mellon, and today we have a guest, a trapper from uh, the Catskills of New York. Yeah, New York. Uh, Mark Sharp and Gay. Uh, Mark, it is a pleasure to have you here, sir. Oh, well, thank you. So tell us a little bit about trapping in New York. I, I understand that it's not, not, not all New York City, but, you know, all of us hicks in the sticks that when you say New York, there's only one New York. You know, and, and that's Times Square and, and all them, them anti-fur-hating PETA people. Yeah, that's what most people think when they first think of New York. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm only a couple hours from the city, and it's pretty amazing that how many different species of fur bears we actually have, you know, within that region of New York City. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, New York's... Uh, biggest export is actually yogurt and that's because of all the dairies and there's a lot of there's a lot of agricultural new york that people don't know about so uh you know next time uh, you're looking at your yogurt containers look at the back there's an awful good chance on the back it says from new york um that's but, crazy uh, i had no like, idea <laughs> I, I, yeah I thought, I thought your number one export was like uh uh lattes and uh and and bearded uh people who, who shouldn't be wearing <laughs> who shouldn't be wearing hipster jeans i don't know <laughs> that's it yeah well it's also uh people now everybody's leaving the state so <laughs> i seen that i see i saw that uh new york illinois and california are all in the negative for and uh it's been for two or three years for California now that, that there's more people leaving than, than coming in so that the population's actually dropping it. That's not a big sales, is it? No, no, it's getting kind of tough for that kind of stuff. And, you know, it makes it tough running a business here, you know, in this state and a lot with the taxes and the regulations. So, yeah. So are you taxed heavily then in the rural area? I, I assume you're rural. I mean, you say you're outside of, you're a couple hours outside of New York. So you you, you're, you're in, in a rural area. Uh, is, are you taxed at the same rate as, as, as New York City? or? Well, New York City has its own taxes on the rest of the state and federal taxes, of course. So I'm sure for those people down there, it's even more. But uh, yeah, it is. It, it can be a tough state to operate in. And, uh, you know, but it's a lot of expenses that uh, have to be passed on and, uh, you know, figured into a business plan. So you know, even with the, the animal control work, it, uh, you know, it has quite the effect. So all those, all those dairies, then you, you must, uh, dairies, uh, dairies must be, uh, some of your clients for ADC. Actually not in my area, right here in the Catskills, you actually have to start pushing a little bit North and more Western into the state before you start getting into all the big dairies. Um, <laughs> yeah, our area here, like I said, I'm still a couple hours and, uh, there's not too many dairies left. Um, you know, that the smaller dairies just couldn't survive. Okay. Um, the, you know, our area is just a big influx of uh, city people. Um, and that's really how I make my living is, uh, you know, wildlife control. I run a full-time business here. Um, I've done it for uh, almost 20 years now. Um, you know, there was a couple older fellas that kind of, you know, would do it on the side and had a business here when I kind of first started. Um, but uh, when I started this, it was pretty wide open. Um, and, uh, you know, the big pest companies weren't involved in it. And, uh, you know, it was a really good time to get into it and uh, to establish yourself. And, uh, you know, I'm very thankful and uh, grateful now to be where I'm at 
that I did start that that many years ago. Tell me, tell me what your country looks like. You know, is it rolly? Is it hilly? Or is it heavily treed? I, I take it that it's a bunch of uh, like uh, rural acreages, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's pretty up. The, the terrain's broken up a lot. You come out through the Hudson Valley, um, which is a lot of my area that I'm in. And you have some of the, you know, you just break out of the Hudson and you start into the edge of the Catskills. So, yeah, broken terrain, um, lots and lots of orchards as you first break out through the Hudson Valley, um, you know, apples and pears and wineries. And and then as you move further into the Catskills, it starts to get a little bit rougher country. Everything's heavily wooded. Um, and, uh, you know, once you kind of get to me, things start getting a little bit sparser as you start moving further west into the state. Um, I mean, behind, actually right behind me on our mountain that we live on the side on, um, you know, you could go several miles before you would hit the next road. Um, so, you know, once you get into this area, we really start, you know, opening up and we got heavy deciduous forests and uh, broken up with, you know, some small fields, but you know, a lot of rocky streams and, you know, the altitude, uh, you know, the elevation isn't getting in too high, probably up into, uh, you know, maybe about 4,000 or so is about max, you know, to oh, this okay. area. Okay. Yeah. I can, I don't know the particulars, you know, of what the peaks in that are, but, you know, we start getting some elevation and considering you're only coming from a hundred, you know, moving yeah. up, <laughs> you know the ocean's not that far away so <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i mean i know nothing about new york city sandy and i ended up in it once um we were in pennsylvania um dallas dallas pennsylvania just south of scranton i believe it is and uh, some friends there he had a doctor he owned like 400 or 500 acres on this mountain and uh, we were there turkey hunting in the spring and, and you couldn't turkey hunt on Sundays. So I was like, well, let's, let's go to New York city. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole story all in itself. <laughs> oh, I'll bet. I'll bet. Um, I can't even, you know, here I am two hours away and I'm going to tell you, I haven't been down in there for quite a few years. Um, geez, I don't know, maybe an airport. Maybe I went down to an airport four or five years ago otherwise i think probably 9 11 was the last time i was down in there and i was still in the military then so i spent a lot of time down in there through that time frame um but uh yeah otherwise i don't venture down there <laughs> you were in the military which, uh which arm um i was actually in the marine corps and the army yeah wow one wasn't enough you you had to have two majors yeah, I guess glutton for punishment i was in the marine corps um did uh almost six years in the united states marine corps and then uh had gotten out and uh ended up in new york um and then uh you know right around the 9 11 time frame it was time for me to go back in and go to work and do what i do and so i did come back into the army and spend a little time deployed over in the middle east and uh, then i got out after that um and uh can i ask what it was you did um, well, over there we were, I was actually, uh, a tanker and 19 kilo M1 tanks. Um, when I was in the Marine Corps, I was with security forces, um, and was a tanker. And then, uh, then when we went to Iraq, of course, there was uh, no tanks and you're on your feet and you just patrol. That's what we did. And, uh, those were about the only years that I, uh, that during deployment that I really didn't do any traffic. 
Otherwise, I'm pretty much trapped every year, uh, you know, since, uh, geez, probably since I was about uh, 12 years old. Well, so. thank you for your service. Oh, thank you, Rich. I sure appreciate it. <laughs> Oh, I, I, you, 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 you've, you've done something that, that uh, is, it seems to be so taken for granted, yet people don't understand the, the, the courage to, uh, of, of what you did. When did you start trapping? Um, like I said, I think I was probably about 12 years old or so. Um, when I really got my start living in Wyoming, um, I did grow up out West. Um, I actually was originally born in the UP of Michigan, all the way up in Manistique. Um, and that's where a lot of my relatives and the French name and you just bring it all kind of bring it all together. And, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of history of trapping in my background that I actually learned about later on. Um, but uh, anyhow, we were out in Wyoming and, uh, you know, it was something that kind of piqued my interest. Um, I had an uncle who did a little bit and that kind of piqued my interest. Um, you know, I uh, grew, grew up with a single mom and uh, didn't really uh, have anybody else around for it. But there was just something about trapping that's drawn, drawn me in my whole life. And, uh, you know, I started out uh, running around the trailer park on Sundays and climbing in dumpsters and pulling out the aluminum cans. And I would, I would collect all these aluminum cans up. And you got to realize this was, uh, you know, this was early 80s, um, you know, about mid 80s, just before the crash. And uh, I'd get in these dumpsters on Sunday mornings because, all the oil field workers and the coal miners in that quarter of Wyoming, um, they celebrated a lot on Friday and Saturdays. So uh, those aluminum cans were all mine for the grabbing. So I would crush up those aluminum cans and, and bag them up. And I'd walk about a mile or so. And there was a place called Pacific Hide and Steel. Um, and uh, I'll bet you there's a lot of older readers, you know, listeners out there that probably remember that name. But they're about a mile away. So I'd walk over there with all my aluminum cans. And I would sell them by the pound um, to Pacific Hide and Steel. And they also, besides buying fur back then, they also sold trapping supplies. So <laughs> I was able to sell my aluminum crushed cans by the pound, buy trapping stuff right there. And that's kind of the early, early start. You know, me and my cousin would do a little bit together. And we just kind of learned on my own from that gift, you know, from right then. What were you trapping? Uh, and the my trapping, and that's really how it began out there in Wyoming, and and then it continued when I moved to Nebraska, and uh, you know the Sandhills of Nebraska really really got my start. You know, I kind of cut my teeth on coyotes out there, and uh, and uh, you know ever since then, you know when other kids were playing sports, that's what I did in the winter, and uh, you know, and it just never went away. I've always, you know, trappings always drew me in, and it it grew into the ADC business that I have now. And I still continue to fur trap. So let's talk, let's split this up. Let's talk about, we'll talk, get, get your fur trapping in a, in a couple of minutes here. Let's talk about the ADC because it probably employs more trappers or puts more, more, more mortgage payments in the bank that, than, than fur trapping does for a lot of people anymore. Um, what is you know, are there how many animals, or or are there you know what is the 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 animal that you trap the most in eight for uh, probably, ADC? Probably squirrels, hand down. You know, we have lots and lots of squirrels, and they're just damaging, and uh, people just don't maintain their homes, especially you know, especially these city folk. They just don't take care of their house the way that it needs to be, and usually maintenance issues lead into wildlife. So, you know, squirrels are probably number one. 
you know, um, probably followed closely behind that are probably uh, woodchucks and raccoons. You know, they're right there. Um, but squirrels, hands down, number one. Birds, bats, um, you know, I do, you know, pretty much everything. Um, we, I still do larger animals. I still do coyotes and beaver. Um, I actually have our county beaver contract. So I do all the roads in that in our county for beaver. Um, I've had that probably for about 10 years or so now. Um, but it's those small guys. That's what pays the bills. Like you just said, you know, that's what revenue and, uh, you know, um, when it comes to the bigger animals, many times I'm the one that's getting the calls of the referrals, even if it's from other animal control companies, you know, even big companies will, you know, if somebody's having coyote issues, they usually throw my number up and say, you need to call this guy. And, you know, because, uh, that's just something I kind of specialize and I've done my whole life. And I don't think a lot of the, you know, other wildlife control guys have that kind of experience, you know, into the, you know, the canines and the beaver. I, when you talk about uh, what, what pays the bills and that, you know, I, uh, when muskrats are, are averaging five bucks, you know, I, I get enough muskrats in my backyard, literally uh, the quarter section uh, that our, our house is on and then a couple of quarters around us. So within within uh, a two mile radius of, of where I'm sitting right now, I, I take out, you know, anywhere between 500 and a thousand rats. Well, if they're at five bucks each, it, it, it when, when I get 500 of them, my gas for the year is paid for when it comes to trapping and everything, you know, like, I mean, it pays the bills, right? And, and this year, did you see what squirrels just did? Did you no. see red, red squirrels were hit, hit a high of $4? <laughs> at the last auction yeah yeah do you have red squirrels there or gray we do we do have red squirrels yeah. um i can't say do an adc my average is quite higher but yeah. uh it uh i can't yeah. believe that there was actually a market for a red squirrel felt like that well and and it's embarrassing for me because i've, I've been giving them away to to different uh, organizations when they're teaching kids you know like trapping they're teaching them trapping they need something to skin right and i mean whether it's a squirrel or a wolf i mean it's the same same basic right so you could give a kid a squirrel and, and i mean you couldn't give them away for for the last few years and then so all my squirrels and, and i don't i don't target squirrels because uh but when you're when you're martin trapping and that you end up with, with, with a fair whack of them so i've been giving them to, the, to these kids to, to learn how to skin skin and everything and then <laughs> And then, <laughs> then they come up four bucks. And not only that, but I learned that we have a special uh, uh, a section for for Northern Alberta and Northern Northern BC squirrels because they're so large. I had no they idea we had large. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Who would have thought, right? Yeah. There you are. You got, you got coon and fox you can't even get rid of for $4. <laughs> Red squirrel's got a market. <laughs> we don't have any coon here. And I, I did a, I did a show, uh, like we're too far north for coon. I did a show with a, a fella in southern um, Saskatchewan last year. I think it was episode seven of on season seven uh, of Trapping Inc. And that's the first time I've ever touched a coon or or anything else in my whole life. Uh, they're a pretty cool animal. I was, I yep. was impressed. Yeah, yeah, they're quite an animal. We have, you know, we have a pretty good population around here. Um, especially with the low prices, uh, you know, they've come back quite a bit, but, uh, yeah, we have a pretty good healthy population of them. And, uh, we even have uh, even a fisher population we have. Um, and, 
you know, it, it's, it really is amazing that the Catskills in New York have the wild. I think we have like 13 different fur bearer species that are drappable in our area. It's, wow. it's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. And, you know, are two hours from the city. So when you're doing ADC, uh, and I've talked with the ADC trappers like that are in Toronto and Vancouver and all this kind of stuff, what's the rule? Are, are you allowed to, to kill them or... Do you have to live trap them and, and move them? Or can you move them very far? I know one place that they had to catch them alive, but they couldn't move them more than a kilometer, roughly half a mile. So it was like they were back that night. I said, <laughs> I said that's quite the merry-go-round, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, we, uh, you know, we are, we, we do have, you know, it's a, a pretty well-regulated, you know, business that we have here. Um, New York State has a formal nuisance wildlife operator's license and a test and, you know, regulations that cover it. Um, um, I probably am killing probably 90% of my stuff. And a big reason is, is I, I like to take the time with the customers and the clients. I really like to develop a personal relationship. And I have customers that I've had for years and word of mouth is a really important part of my business, but I like to educate them. And when I start sharing the biological aspects, all right, of us moving animals around and trying to do numbers, which, you know, a homeowner thinks he's okay. Well, what's the big deal? You know, I can catch a groundhog and I can go release one or two. Well, that's fine. But when I'm doing 50 a week, when am I supposed to release all these animals? And what happens is we start reaching, you know, there's a point where biologically it's just not good. All right. You, you're, you're spreading disease at 55 miles an hour. You're moving animals around at the speed of a vehicle and dumping them off. And you might have healthy populations in one area and some in another that aren't. And when, once I start speaking a little bit more about the biological end and the population and everything works, most people, believe it or not, even the city folk, from the city start to understand and they see it um you know the, the explaining that a disease has become uh, you know so much easier now after covid i tell somebody about spreading disease you know by moving an animal and they got it they yeah. got it that's, so, uh, <laughs> that's that's salesman 101 right there mark that's good stuff <laughs> excuse me i put my mask on and tell you about disease <laughs> and uh you know people you know people understand that and uh you know they do they change it and they're you know i try to you know i do a lot of body gripping but i body grip more ground groundhog woodchucks than uh you know any other method do we have cages sure you know we use regular you know cages and i i you know comstock cages and that but my go-to tool is still, you know, 155s and 160s for my groundhogs, and they're a very effective, humane tool. And once I explain it to people and they understand, you know, most people are, are with it. Um, some may not be, you know, and they're welcome to use some other company if they would like. Um, you know, I do do some cage trapping when the situation, you know, is, let me see, is really requires it for safety reasons. They got a bunch of kids running around loose. They got pets in the yard, you know, things like that, that I need to take in consideration. Then I will adjust the court. But, uh, um, you know, and then New York requires us to euthanize all of our rabies vector species. So, you know, your raccoons and your skunks have to be euthanized by law. And I follow that rule very strictly. Um, I know there's some companies out there that don't, and they'll tell a customer whatever they can just to get the job and make a buck. But, 
you know, I follow the lines pretty straight when it comes to that. And it just makes biological sense to do it that way. And if I miss a few jobs, so be it. I think that on the end, you know, my relationship with the customers, it plays out in the, you know, the long run and it's the best route to go um, for the wildlife population as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, most people don't understand uh, and until you, you talk to them and say, you know, all habitat is pretty much taken. It's not like, it's not like I can take this raccoon from here and, and take it five miles over there and, the, and there's no raccoons there. There's already raccoons there. And I mean, it's, it's easier to explain when you're trying to move something like beaver, because, you know, every, every body water has beaver in it or has a beaver pond or whatever. And that, that habitat's already taken and try, you know, you explain to them that, that, that those beaver will fight to the death over protecting that, that, that uh, body of water. They're protecting their home. Uh, people are actually a lot more uh, intuitive or, or more accepting of, of what, what, uh, if you take the time to explain to them, but it's, you've got to be in that situation. And, and I, I actually think that you guys in the ADC are in a unique situation when it comes to representing trapping, because you're, you're doing it, you're, you're removing a pest from them. And so, you know, if it's Johnny, New York city, and he's already feeling guilty because, you know, they all have this idea that the animals are here first and, and all that kind of stuff. But if you're removing this animal, it's a pest. And, and uh, you, you explain to them, you know, the, the, the way the world works. Uh, I, I, think, I think you have a, a much more uh, ready-made audience for, for, for the, uh, you know, good explanation of the biology and how it works. Have you ever caught yourself yelling at the TV, telling the people that were hunting, fishing, or trapping they were doing it wrong? <laughs> I know, we all do it. I do it. Well, here's your chance to come out on my trap line with Sandy and I and tell us what we're doing wrong. We are having a contest. We are giving away a three days worth of trapping out on our trap line with us. All you have to do is get yourself to Grand Prairie, Alberta, and we will take it from there. We'll pick you up. We'll take you out to the trap line and we will return your frozen carcass or, or your smiling face to the airport three days later. <laughs> All you have to be is a member of trappinginc.locals.com. Be a supporting member. The draw is on September 1st. Uh, it's really, really simple. You go there to trappinginc.locals.com and the very first post up on the newsfeed, it tells you how to enter and uh, how to get in on this. We are easy going. We are gonna have a pile of fun. We are looking forward to having some new fresh faces out on the trap line with us. And you're going to be a star or a guest of an episode of Trapping Inc. Season 8. Okay? Simple, simple, folks. Don't miss out. This is a great trip. Number one thing that gets re requested of us is, how can I send my husband trapping with you guys? I'm willing to pay money. <laughs> well, maybe I shouldn't be advertising to you. I should be advertising to your wives. <laughs> Come to trappinginc.locals.com and become a member. Simple. Don't miss out. And now let's get back to today's show. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I really try to take advantage of that. It's my chance to be able to, to establish that relationship with people and be that one contact that maybe they're like, you know, maybe PETA and the World Wildlife Fund weren't right. You know, maybe something's, maybe there's not something there. And this makes so much sense that, their pool that their poor little sob video just doesn't and you know i really try to take that and and make a responsible 
um, exposure to these people because it may be the first time they've ever been exposed to a trapper. And, uh, you know, that's very, very important to me that I'm able to, to offer that, educate them. And, uh, you know, I'm also very active in our state organization. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the region three director for this corner of the state. So, you know, that's also part of my job is to make sure that, you know, we're representing trapping the best that we can and, uh, you know, making sure that, uh, you know, we have that future and that's how we do it is by getting to people that wouldn't normally ever been exposed to it. It's, you know, it's really neat because you take a look at, at hunters, you know, and, and, uh, most people are meat eaters. And so, uh, you know, they, they get on me about being a hunter and I say, well, look, don't don't slag on me because uh, I choose to kill my meal and you don't you choose to have somebody else kill it you know I mean it's it, that's a, a pretty easy argument to, to to make trapping has has this whole other uh, this 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 whole other cloud hanging over it and I, th I think the fact that that when you get in a situation like what, what you're in where they need you you know, they need you to, to, to get rid of that squirrel in the attic or that raccoon in the attic. And that, uh, they're a lot more receptive to, to, uh, to, to listening to what you got to say. Having said that, I will bet you easily 80% of the viewers of our TV show don't trap. They're just fascinated with the life. Uh, they, they, uh, or grandpa did, or an uncle did, or, or, or they wanted always to get into it or whatever, but 80% of the trap, they just love, love, love watching, uh, you know, how, how it all works and, and, and that communication with, with animals. And I find that absolutely fascinating. The saddest thing that, though, though they, I, I hear, and I hear it all the time, uh, back, back before the virus, when we could go to sportsman shows and do seminars and that was people come up to you and say, I didn't know trapping was still legal. <laughs> right. You know I saying? hear it too, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how do you yeah. trap? How do you uh, take care of the squirrels? Do you use traps on them? Do you snare? Are you allowed snares? Actually, that is one tool in New York that we are not able to use. Um, we have, we're not allowed to able to use snares. Um, I am licensed. Um, individually just for the use of cable restraints on beaver um so there is some special regulations that will allow me to use those um but outside of that there's absolutely no snare or cable restraint use in new york why would you um, that, use uh, why would you use i'm sorry uh why would you use a cable restraint on a beaver th there's sometimes especially if they're in areas where the beaver um have been pressured and they're associating, you know, maybe that body grip, you know, got a piece of them or maybe it slapped in their face and they're avoiding it. And, you know, it's one of those tools that when I make an approach into a job, um, I'm kind of very systematic about it. You know, right. usually I start out, I don't touch my lures or anything at first. Um, you know, usually I'm in blind set channels and things like that. And then you know, if I need to start moving into caster mounds and stuff like that, I will. Then if I, then if I need the footholds, I'll bring them into play with sliders if I need to. And then if I still need to, I still have the cable restraints in my pocket. And then if I need to, I still have shooting them on with a light or something at night. Um, but I progressively move through it to make sure that I always have an alternative tool to use um, in a particular situation. You know, you know, just... God forbid I end up with the beaver that just seems that he's voiding the, you know, combinations of whether it's 
human scent in a trap or caster in a trap or, you know, something like that, that he is avoiding. I want that tool there. And, you know, a cable shrink can be a nice, you know, a nice tool to use because it's practically invisible, um, you know, and I can use it, you know, just in a blind set, um, you know, and then have that beaver there and, uh, and I'm able to hold them alive and then I'll be able to dispatch them at a later time too, where I wouldn't have that same ability on a job with a customer. And maybe I don't feel like a 330 or, you know, a 280 is, you know, maybe the better choice for that situation for safety. And uh, the cable strain will allow me to do that and be invisible. Okay. Okay. I'd, 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 I'd never thought of it being like, uh, I guess I've, I, I've, maybe I've never been around that educated of a beaver because by the time you get down to the footholds and the slider, I mean, that, that that's like Dr. Death. That's the last one. <laughs> the last one. In, gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I completely agree with you. I completely <laughs> agree with you. And, you know, that's how we're doing most of them, you know, but, uh, you know, they do get exposed and there is a few other trappers in the area that still get out and play around a little bit. So, you know, and you always get somebody that's trying it new for a year or two. And, uh, you know, you'll get that guy that's missing a toe or two. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just another tool to be able to reach for. The squirrels then, you you use a, a box trap, a live cage? What, what do you use for them? Yeah, most of my squirrels are all done with one-way cages. So um, I'm not a big excluder guy. Um, I've done, I've followed up on too many other jobs from other companies that are using excluders and there is an occasion, there is times when that's an actual, a good way it, that it can be done depending on the house. But most of our, our homes you know, that I'm working with, a lot of them, you wouldn't believe are, you know, wood sided and different options where if you exclude a squirrel outside of the building, which you, you, have, you stand a very good chance of causing more damage. And uh, <laughs> it's very important to me that I stop the damage as quickly as possible and more of the house. Ex explain what an extruder is, or what an excluder is there. There'll be people saying, well, what nerds an excluder? Explain that one. Oh, well, and in kind of two different forms. You kind of, you can have a cone type where the scroll just kind of goes out of a hole in a, like a funnel and may have difficulty finding its way back in. Um, and then you can also have, um, just a cage that would be like open-ended on the end with a spring-loaded door. So the squirrel pushes out, door slaps shut behind him, he's locked outside. Well, now if he really wants to get back in the house, he goes to work around the area where you put the cage. And if you have a lot of good wood or a nice home, you have to be very careful about, you know, preventing that damage. And that's why I'm there. So that's where I find myself most of the time I'm catching all my squirrels in cages with spring-loaded doors, multi-catch cages. And uh, I even do, depending on the home, um, a lot of times, if I think it's the case, I will even prep them and I'll actually set them up at night. And uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to be sharing all of this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of years putting all this together to do it right <laughs> and efficiently. But, uh, you know, I'll come back and set those up at night because I know the squirrel's inside. You know, if it's not flying squirrels, which we have, I have three different squirrels in my area to deal with, grays, reds, and flyers. Um, but if it's not flyers, I can almost guarantee that at nighttime, I got my red and my gray squirrels inside. So now I have a captive audience. So now what I'll do is I'm, it's, it's actually easier for me to come back in, put that cage over the opening in the, in the dark, 
make sure I have the captive audience, have the squirrel come out into the cage, making sure I have the offender that I wanted, and then be able to lock that house down in a quick and efficient manner without causing more damage. And, uh, you know, that's my goal is, uh, you know, to be quick, efficient, and uh, stop the damage. When you uh, are called for a, for, for a squirrel, uh, you know, a squirrel case, I don't know what you call them. <laughs> Got to apprehend the squirrel. Uh, when, when you're called for a squirrel job, um, do you have, like, are there multiple squirrels or is there a single squirrel? You know, like, you, must, you must have some stories to tell on that. You know, it can be all over the chart. Uh, you know, I mean, normally with flying squirrels, you're dealing with colonies. Um, you know, I've been into those as many as 40 or 50 um, in a structure. Um, you know, gray squirrels a lot of times are multi. Um, red squirrels seem to be very territorial. Um, they don't seem to get along with each other, the best or anybody else. They seem to just be awful, ornery little guys. And But, uh, you know, so we get it all over. I deal with from a single squirrel to a, a mom with a litter to, you know, you know, 50 flyers. So, you know, once you come in to do that initial inspection, you know, I, you know, I really don't know what I'm getting into until I get there. Well, with, uh, I know what you mean about, about the colonies of, of flying squirrels. Cause I, I, at one time I actually gave up and I moved to Martin trap because I, I, I was, I was at 32, <laughs> 30, 32 or 33 flying squirrels. And I'd caught a couple of Martin, but I mean, they've ruined them. Like, I mean, and I was checking every two days and they, they, they'd ruined them because they, they would jump out and, and even though it was hanging, you know, hanging out uh, off away from the tree and all that, a flying squirrel, that's no big deal for them to, to, to jump over there, right? They're the only ones, but what they do is they, they pluck all the fur off and they take that fur back to line their, their, uh, uh, their nest, right? And it's just, they're, they're just a terrible, terrible thing. But I gave up, I gave up. Finally, I was like, you know, and I moved and I moved the uh, the Martin box, and I keep thinking about it. every year when I set up, I because I I had this little uh, jog in my trail, and now I go straight across instead of going over to where, where all the where all those uh, flying squirrels were. And I keep thinking, I wonder if I should go back and set it up because it was sure good for Martin. I'll tell you that <laughs> the flying squirrels were something else. Uh, yeah, I, I just read a, an, an article. And it was the craziest thing. These people were studying red squirrels. And it was funny that you talked about the, that they're territorial and all that. They were studying red squirrels, and they see that red squirrels, their their belief was is that red squirrels don't have a home, that they just keep moving and moving and moving, and that there there are multiple squirrels that that uh, live in a cache. And I mean, it, for here, for for me, yeah. I mean, I every every year when it the they get prime, I I set up uh, snares around my cabins because. Uh, you know, you squirrels in cabins and don't need to tell you that. And uh, it is nothing to get 15, 16 squirrels in a night. You know I mean? And, and snares is the only <laughs> way to go. You you have no idea how much fun you can have until you can snare squirrels. <laughs> you know, yeah, it can be monsters. They oh, really are. It was, it, but it, it was, it was amazing. I got I got to check, see if I can find any more research. The worst part is that so much, so many of these decisions about trapping and about furs, uh, fur animals and all that, there is so little study been done on it. We have a quota on Fisher and it is based on a 1969 study that was done in Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. Yeah. Now, that you know, we've been New York was very active on that. Um, they actually just completed their their study now, um, and they're starting to open uh, free up a little bit of the regulations again. Um, just you know, based off data that they were able to get, and uh, you know that they've accumulated over the past. I don't know. I've got to say they've been working on it for maybe at least 10 years or so, I think now, maybe, um, you know, don't quote me on that. I could be off a little bit, but, uh, you know, they've been studying those pretty hard and having stations and collecting DNA samples. Um, they've been making us turn in, uh, you know, um, the skulls from them. Um, and, uh, and it's been a little bit of a sore point from trappers, you know, it's, it's lasted longer than I think many think you know, longer than it should have taken, especially with the fact that the fishers have prospered and really spread across the whole state. They've done really well. Um, so I know there's a lot of frustration there, but, uh, you know, these studies have led them into opening up some other parts of New York that uh, weren't open in the past. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll be able to get some longer seasons now um, in those areas that are open. And I'm very fortunate in the Catskills. I felt little effect. You know, I, I, I did have to go and apply for the special permit every year if I wanted to trap fishers. Um, but in our area of Catskills, we have a phenomenal fisher population. And uh, we felt no other regs than besides the, you know, the data gathering. So okay. we, I've been very fortunate with that. Do, how, how long is the season? When does it start? And, and what's your quota? Um, our season actually starts, uh, it opens up with the rest of the fur bearers. So it's normally around October 25th. Um, that's when it's banned. Now Fisher closes earlier than other seasons. And the reason being is, um, you know, the DC biologists have told me that they believe that the Fisher, uh, are much more susceptible to being caught with bait, especially later in the season. So they do close this on December 10th. Um, so about the time the fur gets really good. Um, it's time to close the season, um, but that's something that uh, the state association has been working on and, you know, maybe something with this data that's came out of the study and all the work the trappers did would turn in the skulls and that hopefully it'll pay off. Maybe we'll be able to see us a little later season, you know, in the coming near future. Tell me, what's your weather like? Like when you're closing in, what's, what's the month of December? Like, do you, do you have snow? Are you, are you froze up? Uh, you know, are, how, how cold are your temperatures? Um, we can get cold. Um, you know, I'm in the Catskills where we're at here. We're kind of right on the edge. Um, pretty much from my house, if you start going west, there'll be snow before there is back to the east. And uh, I think that we're, our location's still within a couple hours of the ocean and that still still helps to keep them, you know, the winters from being too crazy. Um, last year was definitely one of the harder winters we've had in quite a few years. Um, but you know, we can get some pretty decent, you know, snow amounts. Um, you know, we stay pretty wet here. Um, I don't know what, uh, you know, I would compare it a lot to, you know, some of the areas of the Midwest, you know, Michigan and, you know, uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, kind of those areas with maybe just slightly less, you know, freezing temperatures. Okay. So. Would, would you, would you be like in above freezing during the day then or in December? Uh, oh, oh yeah, we can get that. Yep. Yep. We'll still get those. We'll still get those. And usually about mid December is when we really start probably entering into our freeze. Um, usually I'm not ice fishing till after the Christmas. 
Um, and then usually it'll last until that February thaw we get, which usually happens later in February. Um, you know, we'll start maybe getting some warm ups and some temperatures will start opening up and get some open water, you know, for rat trapping and such. But uh, I, I'm just, I find it interesting because we, we uh, for our fisher, uh, you know, like December, about mid-December on is it, get, it can get tough because that's when it gets really cold and they don't move much when it gets cold. You know, like I'm talking about daytime highs at, uh, at minus 20 Celsius or about four, four below zero Fahrenheit. I, that's our, our daytime high, you know, and uh, not many critters move at that, at that. Well, you know, I mean, still your wolves, coyotes and your, and your, your cats move. They always do, but like uh, mink, fisher, uh, Martin, uh, they, they, they slow down, they slow, slow down pretty good. And I, that was just one of the things when they, when they're shutting it down December 10th, it was why I asked about the temperature, because if it was, if, if your December's did get actually cold, I mean, uh, you, you could, the, the season could run longer and it's not going to really affect the catch very much you know, if it was like around here, because that late, later in December gets pretty tough. How do you, uh, how do you trap fisher there? Um, the methods are pretty similar um, to what you do. I know that, uh, I know, remember me and you uh, a couple of years back met in Michigan there and we shared some stuff uh, when I did a demo there at the NTA. And, uh, you know, our methods, I think, are awful similar. Um, I don't get quite the snow they do in a lot of places, but I still lean really heavy on uh, the poles. And the reason I do that is, one, I keep, I can keep them working. Um, you know, we don't get that snow depth necessarily, but once I go up that pole, it frees me up on my trap selection that I'm legally able to use. Um, and, uh, as far as non-targets and things like that, you know, I like a dead animal, even when I'm fur trapping, I like dead animals. And, uh, you know, if I can dispatch them quickly and that like that, that's what I prefer. Once I go to the ground and I start using boxes, um, I have to be more selective about traps and the type of boxes and things that I use on the ground um, due to the regulations. So I find myself still leaning pretty hard on the poles. And uh, honestly, you know, I've heard a lot of counter arguments, you know, about big, big males don't want to go up poles and things like that. And I'm going to be honest, over time, I if a fisher wants to get in a trap, boy, he will get in a trap. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've never, I've never seen that case. So, um, you know, what I've been able to collect for myself and, you know, over the years is that, uh, I really don't see no difference on the ground or the, or, you know, or on a pole. So that's kind of where I'm at. I, I, I use, when I use poles, I, 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 rather than just putting it vertically on a tree, it's because of, of when it gets cold at minus 20 stuff, they don't want, they don't like to climb the tree, but they will still go up a pole kind of thing. Hey folks, Rich here with some exciting news from TrappingInc.com. We were listening when you said you wanted more clothing, and we heard you loud and clear. We've expanded our clothing line. More colors, men's, ladies, and children's sizes, more variety. Living off-grid gives more time for the creative juices to flow. New humorous observations are added weekly, as well as our classic Trapping Inc. logo. We have joined forces with Tee Public. You can find our Tee Public storefront from the store page on TrappingInc.com. Just go to www.trappinginc.com forward slash shop and just scroll down to find the link for our Trapping Inc. storefront. Or you can go to tpublic.com and enter Trapping Inc. TV in the search bar at the top. Check it out. 
Big sales every month, and you could save up to 35%. Don't miss out. Get your favorite gear today. And now let's get back to today's show. Explain to me the difference between, you were talking about your traps, and that the pole allowed you some more freedom with, with the kind of traps as compared to being on the, on the ground. Can you explain that? Yeah, yeah. We really took uh, some proactive approaches here quite a few years back um, to make sure that we weren't uh, killing non-typicals and the possibility of pets, dogs. Um, this was something that had come to the highlight quite a few years back and, uh, we tried to get ahead of it and I do believe that it paid off and it made some people angry, um, you know, by putting restrictions on these traps. Um, but the idea that it's, and like I said, I may make some people angry, but the fact that if you feel comfortable throwing a bucket on the ground with a 220, a bunch of meat in the back. And you're not taking, you know, other people and outdoor users consideration for even if it's a rabbit dog or something like that, then I just I have trouble going along with that. And uh, what happened is through our work with uh, NYSTA and work with DC and the trappers as a whole, um, we were really able to save a lot of tools that New York's pretty liberal in the trapping regulations when you look at the whole across the country in the East. And we were able to save these tools by approaching it from a really common sense type of view, you know, keeping 160s on the ground for trail sets and stuff if there isn't bait and lure, okay? Because bait and lure was a, a common thing. And you're not going to get a dog in a 160 that's tight on the ground if there's no bait and lure. He's going to go over the top of it. And yep. you can kill all the you want. But uh, so something like that, let's remove the bait and lure and keep the 160s. Let's do this before, before somebody comes out and tells us what to do. Um, let's stay with small five inch body grips on the ground if there's baits and lure. Um, if you're using a bigger trap, it needs to be inside of a box. If you're using a bigger trap, it needs to be on a pole, you know, five foot off the ground. And uh, by putting those kind of common sense things in there, um, I really do believe that we saved a lot of tools that uh, we wouldn't even be able to use right now. So I, I, don't, kinda... dis I don't disagree with you. I, I, I get a lot of, uh, of uh, feedback for places. Like, I mean, I mean, we're, we're, we're mandated. We have to, we have to use the, uh, the, the body grips, the killing traps, that kind of stuff. I can't foothold a, a fisher or that, that, that kind of thing. Um, and, it doesn't bother me because I like my animals to be dead. I'm 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 fine fine with them being dead. The uh, problem that we have is that if we aren't proactive doing this stuff, when they come to take it, they're going to take it all. You know. Oh, I'm with you. I completely agree, Rich. I just yep. had a very irate person send me an email with a picture, and I don't know who would do this. I mean, this 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 flies in the face of everything it's like it's like when people get caught jacklighting deer at night right and they talk about hunters were out poaching no criminals were out poaching they weren't hunters you know the <laughs> jack jacklight this person sent me a picture for 330 and it's either a duke or a or a bridger and they're not they're not even legal in, in canada to use for anything but this 330 is sitting on the ground it's got a wiener on on the the forks of the of the trigger you know and like they they were worried about their dog well yeah hell i'd be worried about my dog too you know i i have i have two two 80, 80 pound plus uh um short hair pointers and that but i i've i've killed 80 pound uh wolves that stuck their head in a 330 as well you know what i mean 
I would be worried too. <laughs> Why do we have to yeah. legislate that kind of stuff? But I mean, that, that that's just flat out stupidity. That is, you know, and, and uh, if, if we don't, um, you know, get, uh, take care of the best practices and, and, and that kind of stuff, we're going to get legislated. And you're absolutely right. You have to be proactive. I mean, I know what the world was before, but this ain't the world anymore. You know? No, no, no. And we gotta, we gotta, you know, we gotta save every little bit we can. And by preventing things from happening and using some common sense approach. Yeah. Maybe sometimes it does require a little bit of, uh, you know, sacrifice. Um, and, uh, you know, and then, uh, you know, and then on the other side of it, I can see the other side of it. I can come from being that, you know, growing up, you know, on the ranch in the Nebraska Sandhills and realizing that, you know what? Well, a property owner also has rights. And other oh, exactly. can be overstepping what they're trying to tell somebody to do on their own property. So I see that too. And I try to walk that middle ground a little bit and look at it, you know, from both sides. And, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, in New York, in our situation here with our population, our demographics and everything, um, it was a very good move. And there was a lot of people and angry. And I'm sure there's people that still don't talk to each other after those arguments. But, you know, it, I think it saved us. And for me, be able to, you know, grab a bunch of 160s and go set Fisher sets in the, in the, in the, on poles and baited sets is, you know, pretty incredible, you know, two hours from New York City that we were able to save all that. Oh yeah, hats off to you, and 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 I, I totally agree with you. You though led me to lead me to believe that you don't use boxes on poles. The way just the way you're talking I, that if it's on the ground, it you has to be in a box. That so am I reading that right? You're absolutely right. I don't use boxes on poles. I am. Uh, I try not to carry more than I have to. Um, so I do use poles most of the time. I'm in hemlocks or cedars. So I've already got my stabilizers and everything in place. We'll. Well, I'll go out and, uh, you know, I'll prep ahead of time. And then it's a matter of just walking in, cabling my trap around the pole, putting it on the holder, cutting me a grab, snapping off a few limbs, laying them over the bait to keep the birds out, and then applying my baits and lures and rolling on to the next spot. Um, quick, efficient. My pliers are on my hip, a roll of wire, and uh, I go, you know, all of, uh, you know, I have a good source of beaver meat just because of the nuisance work. You know, so we collect that, throw it in buckets, and it goes in the freezer ahead of time. Um, and it's amazing, I, it's amazing how much beaver meat you use to trap. You know, like oh, I, it goes quick <laughs> on fish, especially. And my biggest, you want to know what my biggest problem is here? And here we go back again to our weather not being as cold as yours. Um, it's bears. If I get bears on my beaver meat and my poles, I'll usually give them once or twice just because I'm already there. But after that, I might as well just pull them because once they get started, that I will come in and that trap will be knocked off and the beaver meat will be gone every single check. So I might as well pick up my stuff and move it. I had a, a grizzly go through and grizzly are out later than, than the blacks. They spend, the blacks have to be traditionally or, or usually they're, they're, they're into their dens and that before the last leaves fall because the, those leaves cover their scent. Grizzlies then spend that time until it's cold enough where they, where they're going to den uh, hunting, hunting black bear in, in their, in their dens. Pretty cool. When you walk up and see where they, wow. where they hocked a, a black bear out of, out of a den and ate them. You know, I've seen, I've seen oh. once where wolves have done it. I've seen several times where, where grizzlies done it. 
we had a grizzly go through our, our uh, trap line this year, a young bear, um, probably first, first winter on its own. Cause they stick with mom for two years. So I think probably first winter on its own. And he, uh, went up and got on one of my, uh, on my Fisher line and, uh, Fisher Martin line. And he, he waltzed his way through there and he actually, uh, ended up with a, a 160 on his paw and it went down, he went down the road with it, but he had the, he had the box and then he smashed the box flat. And, uh, I always have in my, my boxes, I always have the, um, a piece of wire mesh that I shove in there to, to pin the, the meat in there. Right. So they can't fall out. Cause they're all vertical around there. You know, anyway, he, uh, he, he smashed it flat and then, uh, and, uh, then packed the, the meat off me. Cause I, 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 I use a big chunk of, of meat and, and, uh, it was frozen to the screen and eventually I found the screen shredded. I'm just walking along, following him. There, there was about six inches of fresh snow. It was, it was kind of funny to, to wander along. And then, uh, and I was worried that he would, you know, head off the bush cause he still got my trap on his foot. Right. He stopped though, and he and he pulled it off his foot, but before he he headed off into the bush and bent it up pretty good. <laughs> oh was, my god! <laughs> uh, I I don't have luck with that um, with not having a box, like around here. Wow. My Fisher and Martin and I. Well, for one thing, most Martin come down a tree to into into the uh, to the box now. Like we have set enough trail cams and had enough success filming them that they actually come down the tree and and then read you know and everybody's worried about about um uh mike mike matney uh he makes those uh non-grip uh floating colony traps for muskrats and he, he's traps in uh in alaska and he puts his like his boxes are just a foot off the ground on, on the trees and that right and because then then they can just basically stick their nose up in it and, and be caught and but he he's worried about them have to climb well ours mostly come down the martin mostly come down the tree and then they, they circle around come back up, up i always have the opening facing down so that they have to go up if if you have it facing up i mean it can fill full of snow and and they might sit on the edge of it and flop a tail in and then you got a bad catch and i don't i don't need that um i don't need that karma on my soul i've got enough staining it already so <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, uh, but with Fisher and, and Wolverine, especially like, I mean, they will jump over that trap. They will jump over that trap so many times to take your bait and be gone. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I really don't have that. You know, I keep my bait very close to my trap. Like you would think that that one six is just about going to whack it. Oh, okay. You know? I really only need to be just three inches away from it because it's half the dimension of the trap. Yeah. You're so, right folds it's not going to catch it but that bait's right there close and uh you know i i don't really use really steep poles i know i've heard others say well it's got to be but you know i get those bowels around and i keep that bait close to it and if you got a tree at you know a 45 to 60 degree angle that you know they'll stay on that top side of it and i like a bigger tree i like a six or eight inch tree that's just fine um i don't have any problem with that you know i'll use them smaller if it's the only thing they got in the location you know, because I try to be quick and easy. Um, a lot of times, some of mine are almost flat. And what I'll do is I like, to, if I can find a log or something that's down, I'll actually throw it in the crotch of a tree. And I'll extend it out past the tree, you know, several feet, so that it's a dead end. And then I put my bait right out on the end of the dead end. And then my trap will be right in front of that and then covered to keep the birds out. So they're actually coming up the main part of the tree or up the pole and 
you know, they're able to get on it and then they walk out to no man's land that's just elevated and hanging out in the middle of nowhere. And there's just no way for them. They, you know, they walk up to it and there's the bait and whammo. Yeah. Um, I, so I, I haven't had that avoidance. I, I, I see exactly what you're talking about. And I, for me, I, I, it's always been uh, that, you know, it's leaned against the tree and it, it dead ends against the tree. But uh, we were talking about snaring squirrels there a little bit earlier. You take and uh, nail a pole up to two tree, two trees. I, I like a horizontal because that's a squirrel needs a different height, whether he's going up a, uh, up a pole or down a pole, needs a different height of, uh, of snare. But he's if it's on a horizontal pole, you, they can be all the same. And, you, and you, you can hang a dozen of them on, on that same pole. But practically, the best snare is if, if your pole sticks that far past uh, one end, one, one tree or the other, a snare sitting out there about three inches from the end. That's, that's about the best snare on the whole pole. <laughs> <laughs> they, got, they can't help themselves but run out to the end. And sit out there. Yeah, it's exactly it. They, they sit out there. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, what animals on your on your fur line? What animals do you trap for? Um, I do like to trap fishers. I wouldn't say they're favorite. I really am a mink junkie. Um, you know, we have a decent mink population. Nothing real crazy, but uh, you know, I fell in love with those little guys quite a few years back. And, uh, you know, I'll still do a little bit of canine trapping and such, you know, in the earlier part when the season first starts. But uh, I love blind scent and mink. And uh, I, it's, I, it's an addiction. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't get to, I don't get to do the blind setting on mink. Uh, I blind set otters all the time. Like, oh, my God, I, I'm allowed a dozen otters. Uh, a year that's my quota and, and i mean i can i could feel that I, I could go out and set 20 20 blind sets and have my dozen the next time i came around you know what i mean oh like, wow yeah they they i got i got them knocked <laughs> everybody says what's your favorite animal i don't know what my favorite is but my probably my best is otter <laughs> but i i read about you guys doing blind setting uh mink and bottom edge sets and all that i know and I, I don't get no open water our mink starts on the uh opens on the first of november everything's froze by oh, wow. we're, we're we're walking on on ice at that point uh i catch a fair number of them i catch a lot of them that'll that'll climb the tree go into my uh my martin and fisher boxes i catch a lot that way and i i i like setting on on the, the crossovers and that kind of stuff beaver dams uh, and that sort of thing i gotta ask you one thing though before we talk about your favorite mink set your mink there do they have a lot of fat do you have to put them on a beam to and uh uh, to flesh them? Um, I do. I have a small little board right on my bench. And, uh, you know, I do scrape them off really quick. There's not a whole lot on them, though. But, uh, you know, we have, a, again, I think it's probably going to go back to our, we got a great food source here. And hence, again, why we have so many available fur bears. And uh, there's just a lot for them to live on. And so they're, they're, they're pretty healthy. Yeah. Now, I haven't I can't say that I've scraped mink from around the country because I just don't travel and, you know, scrape mink. I'll, you know, I've scraped coyotes and cats and everything all over the West, but I've never done, uh, you know, mink out West. Well, it's funny so, because our mink are there, there's, there's fat, there's the saddle and there's fat under the saddle. It's, it's oh, like, wow. do, it's like doing a mini, a mini otter, only one that stinks a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We don't, I don't think, you know, I never thought of them much like that. You know, they don't have any more than a rats or anything on them, you know, that really you know, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, mean, 
I could take a real quick and yeah, I mean, I can take a Martin and, and there's there's a, a little gob of fat under each armpit and there's a little bit at the, you know, at the skirt down at, at the bottom. That's it on a Martin. Uh, on a mink, I got to put it on the beam and two-hander really and, and, and peel it off. Yeah. 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 Ours ain't, uh, you know, I don't consider them too bad. But uh, again, like I said, I don't have the, you know, I really don't have anything else to compare them to. Well, I, I ended up, this is a couple of different guys, so Ontario and, and back there have, have told me that, you know, what do you mean you, you, you put your mink on a beam? That, that doesn't make any sense. It's like, <laughs> well, I don't know how, yeah, how else you. It's actually a little beam. It's, you know, just a little bit bigger than, you know, like a stretcher almost. And I've got it screwed right down on my bench and it just makes it easy. Um, and that's how I do it. Um, you know, I think there's some guys, I don't even know if they really even throw them on a beam. I think they kind of throw them on stretchers and clean them off a little bit. And, you know, they want that saddle on there and you sure don't want to overflash them either. You know, so. I have to take the saddle off because there's a quarter inch of fat underneath it. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 We uh, don't got that. Probably why you got so many otter too. You must have a plethora of food in that water. Mostly. And it's like, they, they did a study on mink here and they said that 60% of their diet is muskrat. Oh wow! And and almost the, the the total balance after that is is snowshoe hair, and I cannot imagine that's everybody talks about how tough various animals are. I think the mink is the toughest going because around here he doesn't have webbed feet. He's got tiny little feet. He's got a big ass, and when he goes well, when he goes through the, the fluffy snow, I don't know if you ever get enough fluffy snow there to watch see your mink tracks, but but. His, all of a sudden, he's he's jumping like eight inches apart, and he's going down, and he's going up. Like I mean, oh man, that's a tough gig. You know, a martin or a weasel. A weasel has bigger feet than a than a mink does. A martin stays right on top, and and he, you know, he's he's jumping a couple feet at a time, just going. Mink, you know, lives in the water, doesn't even have web feet. You know, like I mean, <laughs> almost always looks like he's drowning as he's just trying to swim, let alone go tackle a muskrat or or a fish or anything. Like I, I'm just, to me, they are the toughest, most tenacious. Like I mean, they 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 get up every morning and pull up their pants and decide they're going to get the job done. I tell you, <laughs> yeah, they do, and they work for it. A constant, they just constantly go at her. And, I've you watched know? YouTube on. Uh, videos on them and they go down and you know this mink was grabbing on onto a trout that was bigger than it was and and you know you get a hold of the, the of the trout and the trout would, would fight him and, and the trout would get free and go down and the mink would get breath of air and go back down I'm thinking this this thing's gonna die pretty soon the mink's eating the fish <laughs> yeah I, I've watched them I've watched them down I've come up to check traps and watch them down there you know trying to pull muskrats up from the bottom you know, that was just too heavy and he couldn't get it up. But boy, and she was a little one too, but you couldn't have told her any different. She was never getting that muskrat off the bottom. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, they're cool. So how, how do you, how do you trap make there? A bottom edge stuff? Wait, tell us about it. Well, I, uh, you know, I primarily, like I said, I'm almost strictly a blind setter. Um, not much bait or lure. And one of my main reasons is, is I don't want to deal with coon. Um, and when I'm, when I'm mink trapping, that's the traps I'm using. You know, I prefer a bigger trap. I'm running number twos, you know, one and a half. And I just don't want to deal with, you know, raccoons being in my traps. Um, 
now don't get me wrong for prices are up a little bit you know like we're back like in that 08 time frame there i think it was 08 wasn't it? last time we had some pretty decent prices i don't know maybe it was no even... for 13 13 okay yeah. yeah and you know when we come to those time then yeah you know i don't mind it so much but uh you know number two victor square jaws aren't a raccoon trap and i really love those for my mink trap and I don't know if I even know how many of them I have now, but I love. <laughs> don't, 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 don't let your wife hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, you know, I, and that's it. And I'm an edge and I roll and I try to get to mink after mink after mink. And I accomplish that by running the roads and trapping the roads, the bridges and the culverts. And uh, here in New York, we're very fortunate that if it's not posted, um, it's public land and you're able to do it. Um, you don't need anybody's permission to get in that culvert of that bridge. So I take advantage of that. And I try to get into the front of as many mink populations as I can. And, uh, you know, when I get out there and I start, you know, I'm blind setting those edges, you know, just, you know, a quarter, half inch of water over a number two. And I, you know, I'm setting them quick with weights and I'm rolling to the next spot. I don't want to be looking for a coon dragging my weight up on the bank, getting tangled up. Um, you know, they don't usually go far, but especially if I'm running at night, I don't want to be dealing with that. So, um, like I said, I'm blind. I usually run through my line first and I'm claiming, you know, my spots and I'm getting them corners all set up and I'm rolling to the next spot. Once I have my line established from there, then I'll start incorporating some other sets. Then you'll start seeing me, you know, start putting in some blind trail sets with body grips, um, you know, um, I almost always keep a body grip in my waders. I don't like to, you know, I've got a 110 in there. It's wrapped up with some wire around it and I just keep it in the front of my waders. And, uh, you know, it keeps you from being lazy. When you see something, you set it. And, uh, you know, that actually paid off one time. A funny little story for you. I had uh, come down and checking a few and I went around and I had, you know, checking my corners and, uh, I remember a rock or a lot of times I'll just lean a rock up over it to keep a coon from going through one of those traps. If I think they're around and a mink will go underneath the rock against the wall, but the coon will go out and around it. Um, and I put that in the rock and fell down in there. So I remember fixing it. And uh, as I was walking back, I looked over and I was all done. I didn't have, I didn't have anything. And uh, I seen where there was fresh mink tracks through the snow running up on the dry land. And I said, you know what? I should really put a trap in there, but I didn't have that one tendon in my waders at that point. Why? I don't know. And I said, you know, it was one of those points that you're 30 days in and it's cold and it's snowy and you have to give yourself that pep talk, Mark. Don't be getting lazy. Get your ass back up to the truck. I got up there and I said, you know what? Let me grab a trap. I'm going to go back down. I'm going to throw a blind trail set into that where that rinkin went right through the snow so i did i took the bits went back down and put that body grip in there and turn around and that rock and fell down again so two things it made me correct the set that i was making that something i didn't have set in there right so it made me go over and fix it proper but when i did i walked over there to fix that rock again all of a sudden i heard me behind me and i turned around and there was that mink in that body grip. I had just sat less than a minute before. So that right there gave me a lesson in myself. Don't be lazy, Mark. You see that sign, you set that sign, you keep setting, and you don't ever quit setting until you run out of season. Yeah. And, uh, 
you know, it was pretty neat. But uh, so, yeah, I'll set those trails up. And then as the weather does get worse, I will start looking for more, uh, you know, bottom edge sets. So, you know, number one rule is the trap has to be working or why set it? So if you can't keep your equipment working, you know, that's where those bottom edge sets really start to come into play. Um, you know, then you start doing that. So I, I'm, you know, I'll set I'll set all levels. Um, you know, and you know, if the signs there, you know, if I have the, if I have the location, I'm going to set it. Explain you, you, you've used, uh, talked about corners a couple of times. What do you mean by corners? Hey folks, Rich from Trapping Inc. TV here. And it's no secret that I'm a big fan of coffee. Our friends at Old Smokes smoke roast their coffee beans over wood fires. You have no idea how good coffee can taste until it's smoked coffee. Did you know that studies have shown that just the smell of fresh coffee can boost brain activity? Yeah, it's that good. Sandy and I have teamed up with Old Smokes Coffee to make our own Trapping Ink coffee blend. Let me introduce you to Wolverine, an ultra dark roast coffee bean smoked over maple wood fires. This is the pure, uncut trapper's fuel that keeps us laughing and trapping all day long. If you'd like to try our special blend, you can find it at www.trappinginc.com forward slash shop. If dark roast isn't your thing, Old Smokes has five different coffee roasts from light to extra dark, each roasted over a different wood for a unique flavor. Right now, you can order from their online store and use our promo code RICH, that's R-I-C-H, and get 10% off your entire order. Just go to www.oldsmokescoffee.com. That's O-L-E smokescoffee.com and use the promo code rich that is promo code rich for 10 percent off your entire order and now let's get back to today's show um all my tight spots so um when you look at when you when you're up there and you look down and let me see how i can this is one of the hardest things to describe is when you look at that creek and you tell somebody that the mink's going to go over there he's going to run over there he's going to go under that stump and around the corner by that rock and people kind of look at you like you got three heads and I don't, I think over time, you just start really getting a feel for where these guys are going to go. And, uh, you know, so when I'm talking those corners, I'm talking when they're coming around the corner, either in or out of those culverts or in and out of those bridge abutments. And they're going to hug those corners really nice and tight. And that's where you need to be. And, uh, you know, that's where your blind sets pay off, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, Johnny Thorpe really, you know, he was a big one to really throw on that, you know, sharing that out there, you know, about those blind sets. And, uh, you know, when you take what, you know, he had done there and yeah, I'll be far from one to say that I came up with all these ideas. I know what Mike did with bottom edges and Johnny with this and you name it. And, uh, you know, look, look at Don Powell down in Pennsylvania, the stuff that he shared that over time and what a great, you know, a great little thing he had down there. And, you know, I've learned a lot. I was able to attend a few of those and uh, sharing that information. But I've taken all of that, brought it all together and just put it into a system of working your butt off. Yeah. And uh, if you do that, you know, and I tell people all the time, I'm like, I know I'm, I don't claim to be the best trapper or anything like that. But I'll tell you what, by day 30, I'll bet you're having a hell of a time keeping up with me. And, <laughs> and I try to make up for it on that end. 
I, you know, like, it, 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 I always say that like this, you know, people talk about, you know, you're so lucky. And, and I says, well, you, one thing you'll learn about in life is that, is that the, the, the hardworking, uh, tra- the hardest working trappers are the luckiest trappers. <laughs> <laughs> you darn right. That's how you catch them in 30 seconds after setting the trap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I, you know, and I don't, I don't have great numbers here. Um, you know, the, the best I've ever, I did 153 mink here in 45 days. And, uh, you know, those are pretty good numbers for our area out here. We don't, we don't have those Western numbers and you, you know, like they do out in the Midwest and you kind of have to work for them. And, you know, I pushed pretty hard that year and it was back, you know, like you said, we had those little bit, of, I actually bought a Toyota pickup that year with my fur track. Of course it wasn't new, but I did awful good that year because the rats were good too. Oh, that's and, good. <laughs> You know, they were all, you know, the rats and the coon paid for the check and the mink were the, you know, paid the bills. Yeah, I I got, I actually had, uh, I've had a, I, I sent a whole bunch of mink out uh, last, for, for the last auction there. And I, I got, I got mink in the top lot was, was 10, 10, 50, 12, 50 <laughs> was, was top lot. And I had a bunch of mink in there. Worst was, was I sent out 188 weasels. And I don't know, like sixty or seventy of them or whatever went into top lot, and they were they they were four bucks each. <laughs> it was like <laughs> it was like holy cow! Almost red all, squirrel all, prices. What, what's that? Almost red squirrel prices. Oh yeah, well, actually, red squirrel was better. I think red squirrel was oh. four twelve or four four eleven or something like that. Yeah, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, it's. Uh, I, when you talk about those corners, I, I, I think, I think I understood what you're, what you're saying. Cause I see it in the wintertime when, uh, when the otters, especially the otters and the mink come up, uh, up a frozen Creek, you know, it's everywhere where, where those corners are. Well, they, they bounce off of one to the next, to the next, rather than, than staying in the middle of that Creek and going down, they, they, they go from one, one piece of structure basically on one side to the next piece of structure at the next on on all those corners and, and edges and it, that there'll be an undercut uh, bank or whatever and i mean you can blind set uh you know for i don't do it very often because i would i need to have by law the smallest uh, trap i can use on an otter is a 220 and uh you know by the time you get into a 220 well mink are running through those at 100 miles an hour uh, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. mink, uh, a, a, a 120 is, is, is perfect for mink. And so I don't do many of those blind tests because, uh, uh, you know, I, I got to get up to that 220 to be legal for, for otter. And I know dang well that I'm, I'm going to catch an otter going to go through it. I, I don't want to have an otter in a, in a 160 or 120 for, for an hour or two, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But that's, uh, so mink, mink are, are your, your, your major, that that's your favorite. Yeah, the, uh, they're my favorite. Coyotes are awful close. You know, um, I think I like the mink trapping as a whole. I love the coyote as an animal. I love his mind. I love the I love the family group. I love the history with them. Um, you know, and that's what I cut my teeth on out west. So, uh, you know, I still do that. Um, you know, I lay off my mink. I, I do. I love the mink and I'm not I'm not going to go out there and push hard for 10 or 12 hour days when we got five dollar mink. It just it doesn't make no sense with three dollar gas. And I just can't do it because as much as I love to trap, I still try to make the numbers work. So, um, you know, we we travel out and, uh, you know, I'm usually in Wyoming, November, December. And, uh, you know, I'm doing uh, coyote work there on ranches in Wyoming. And, you know, that's been working out pretty good. Um 
And, uh, you know, I'm getting a little, the ranchers usually kicking a little bit to try helping out with expenses and such. And then if cats hang in there good, you know, I can get some good high quality cats from Northern Wyoming, you know, Northeast Wyoming. So that sure helped to make a difference there. So my make, I've really laid off on, you know, here, shoot, probably seven, eight years since I really chased the mink ever since the price just kind of bailed out on us, you know, after that last high price, just because you can't justify taking them. Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, you are in a unique situation. I want to, I want to ask you some neat, some, some questions, uh, Eastern coyote versus Western coyote, same animal, different animal. What, what's, what's your opinion? Um, I think very similar. Um, probably just the the location is what's making it so much more different you know trapping out here in new york is in the conditions and the snow and the rain um you know that's way different than uh you know me trapping you know high desert in wyoming okay you know and uh you know i prepare i think i've prepared well for any conditions that i get out there because i'm prepared for these conditions here and, uh, you know, I'm, I do, I'm a big proprietor. I wax all my dirt and sand, you know, I've, I got a couple days every summer that's dedicated to just that. Um, because I got to keep, again, number one rule, you got to keep your equipment working. Yep. If the trap working, I don't care how good of a place or location or set it is. If it don't fire, it ain't no good. So that's the number one thing is making sure that trap works. Um, but that's the biggest difference I see from East to West. Um, coyote wise, um, it's very similar, but the terrain's different. You know, I, I know these coyotes are circling. There's times when, you know, I'm calling or I'm working out here on coyotes and, uh, you know, I, I know I never get to see them circle because of the terrain and all the woods that I know that they've already circled and the scented me before I even got it, you know, even were able to see them. And out in the West, I get to see that happen. Yeah. Because there it is 200 yards out. I don't see the coyote at 200 yards out here. Um, but I, everything I'm getting, most of it seems to be very similar. Um, maybe the eastern coyote's a little bit more of a bully here where I'm at. Um, I don't know if he's quite as, as shy of human scent, probably because he's around more people. I know I'm killing coyotes in Wyoming that have probably only smelled one or two people. Probably the ranch hand or Will, the, the ranch owner. And odds are, he's probably never smelled another human on that ranch in a year or two that he's been alive. So I think that they could be a little bit more sensitive to that there. Where here, they're a little more used to people. They're, they're, they're a very robust animal. Our coyotes are bigger here in the East. Um, and uh, how, how much yeah. bigger? How much bigger? Like here, here, I mean, an average coyote here, average female might get up to 28 pounds average female uh, male would, would be 32 to 34 you know i i out in the big bush out on my registered trap line i i've get them to up to 40 and 42 but but i mean they're half half bloody brush wolf at that point like i mean they they just have to physically be big to survive out there right and they're they're worthless they're you know they're, they're a 70 dollar coyote all day all day long because they're, they're they're big they're coarse and everything else but that isn't usual either you know out there there's a lot more of them that are at that around that 30 or 32 pounds that, that, that kind of stuff right what does a, an eastern coyote weigh yeah and it's uh you know a lot of it would be you know it's similar but they definitely run heavier here on average 
Um, you know, we've have we've had a big coyote hunt that would go on here for, you know, quite a few years now, and it's all based on weight, you know, and, uh, you know, if you're not, if you're not going over 50 pounds, you're not winning. Um, wow. and you know, but that's a big area, you know, that's a select big coyote out of that group to make the win. But, uh, yeah, you're seeing lots and lots of forties come out of those contests and, uh, you know, there be, and I got to be careful with my dog here because of that. Um, they seem to pack a little bit more. I don't know. Maybe you see that in your area too, with the harsher environment and that no. I see coyote family groups staying together a little bit better here and tighter than what they do out West. And I don't know if it's because they're preying on more deer. Um, you know, if that's advantageous for them, but, uh, you know, I really got to watch my dog. I can, you know, out West, I don't, God forbid he runs into a mountain lion or something, but you know, I get concerned with him here getting out of sight in the woods and running into multiple coyotes. I mean, Levi can handle himself okay with one, but, uh, you know, if I get a couple of them and they're these bigger coyotes, big mature pair, you know, he could be in trouble here, especially, you know, spring and summertime when they're pretty aggressive. So when you trap in Wyoming, is it the same rules or are you dirt holding, um, you know, your, 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 your foot, foot holding that kind of stuff. Yep. Yep. Primarily, primarily footholds and snares. Um, Oh, you are snaring. Oh yeah. I snare out in Wyoming. Yep. I run killer snares. Cam locks with kill springs out in Wyoming. Um, you know, it's a phenomenal tool. So, uh, you know, I do a lot of that out there and, uh, you know, but, uh, yeah, dirt holes, flat sets, T-bones, you know, um, occasional blind sets here and there, but, uh, yeah, that's pretty much the backbone of my line there. Um, this might seem weird. It seems like Western coyotes react more to, uh, dirt holes and hit them quicker and then here in the east, it seems like the flat sets work a little bit better. Um, and then, you know, but, uh, you know, of course, I catch coyotes with both in both locations, you know. That's interesting. I know I, uh, I, I know that uh, I, I sat in on one of your uh, seminars at the uh, National Trappers Association, the NTA. That was in Escanaba, Michigan, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And we, it was it was very, very good. And uh, are you going to the NTA here? In a couple of weeks? Nope, I won't be able to make that. That's quite a haul for me out in Iowa. Um, if I get to Iowa, I'm going to keep going. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm halfway home. You know, I've lived in New York a lot of years and worked here and did my stuff, but that sagebrush and those Nebraska sand hills are still my home, and that's never ever going to change. And I still tell people that. You know, I've been here over 20 years now. I'll be retiring from a state job here as well here this uh, next spring. And I still tell people that I'm just here working. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I made the best of it. I really have. I made the best of New York and great people and really, really, really a lot of great things about it as well. It's not all bad, but uh, yeah. So we, we were going to go again this year. Uh, to Iowa it was only 35 hours. So that's not a big drive for us. <laughs> <laughs> well same as driving to Escanaba was <laughs> that's it you got a big you got a big long state <laughs> I know it's a province but yeah yeah that's a long way across that yeah but they're not going to open the border so uh we, we we can't we can't make it this year which is which is a disappointment because it's been yeah. a couple of years since we've been able to get together with anybody there hasn't been even uh, you know trappers meeting nothing. I mean, all this, all this uh, shutdowns. It's been tough, and um, we've just 
had to do that like we're doing right here with you with do do the zoom stuff and and in order to because we kept waiting and waiting and waiting because i really like do this stuff in person right you know i it, it's yeah. uh, a little a little faster flow and everything in, in person but it, you know and you got to do what you got to do and but we have talked for well over an hour and 20 minutes now man oh wow <laughs> oh wow well uh... <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time. I, I've, I've enjoyed uh, talking with you once again. Uh, I can't wait till we can uh, sit down and, and uh, shoot shoot uh, the BS over over a, a drink or something. Uh, get, yeah, get, we'd like get, maybe, uh, maybe sometime we can get uh, you and Sandy to fly out here to our New York State Convention. We have a heck of a great state convention here. And uh, Is that the one in Herkimer or something? Yes, that, sir. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we'd. Uh, we, we'd love to come man oh man we'd love to come I, that would be I, I just find it so fascinating to go go and, and visit with people everywhere you know my biggest disappointment so far has, has been I, I haven't been able to go do the the, the seal hunt uh, and and it's it's got to do with with, with the uh, with the government they, they won't allow us out on the ice and we've we've tried to jump through all the all the hoops and all that but yeah, well, maybe one day, maybe one day it'll happen. But it is it has been so so uh, enjoyable to to go out and, and uh, see how everybody else does something. You know that 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 is so neat. I'd love to go out and, and travel around on on your main line. That that'd be cool. Oh, that'd be great. You know, we do a thing out here too. Uh, I've been doing it last year. We couldn't do it because of COVID either. But uh, I started. Uh, been about it'll be this will be our sixth year now called the New York Elite Trapping Seminar. And uh, it was something I started kind of as a fundraiser for New York State Trappers and also kind of as a bridge past getting your state license, the basic class, and creating a bridge of education and teaching so that trappers are able to go out and be successful, which I think is a big uh, tool to keep them in it for the long haul. And it's been it's been really good. You know, we've had uh, let's see the first I've had Mark Zagger, Russ Carmen, um, Slim Peterson, Andy Weiser, Jeff Dunlap, you know, and what I do is I bring these instructors in for a full weekend and uh, it gets a chance for these guys to spend on the line trapping and instruction for two days with these guys. And, uh, you know, this year, we're going to be able to get it back up. I got her back up running this year and, uh, you know, and we're really looking forward to it after not having it last year. And we have some great instructors coming and, uh, you know, that'd be something great to attend in the future. So, Do you know what, Do you know what we learned though? You know, what we learned is we learned that we took a lot of stuff for granted, you know, oh, like, yeah, right. I yep. was talking with, with, with Mel here last week when I did the podcast with him and I just, I realized that how much I'd missed seeing his ugly face. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and and we, we've taken all of this stuff for granted for, you know, for, for so long. And then all of a sudden when it's not there for 16, 16 months, I guess, but I, you know, two, two springs. So that's two years, right? Like, I mean, you, you can't go do it. It, yeah. it, it, it really shows how much we were taking it all for granted and we should appreciate yeah, it. it sounds more. Like you, it sounds like you guys are even on more lockdown up there than we are down here. Actually we're um, free in Alberta. We're oh, free. You are. Oh yeah. Oh, the the oh, only I thing that, we can't cross the international border. That's controlled by our prime idiot out in out in Ottawa. And, <laughs> and <laughs> but we, uh, we 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 have everything was gone on the first of July. We we started to graduated March out of it in in, in June, and 
and masks and and restrictions all restrictions and everything were gone by the first of july we're you know we're just you know that's where it was great going to wyoming last year you know last year you know me and my partner wendy me and her were out there and you know it was just none of it nobody nobody was doing it they'd had enough you know it was still the you know i still got up in the morning i put my pistol on my side in wyoming and I could stop at the diner and, you know, grab a bite to eat or go in the store and nobody looks at you sideways and no masks. And, you know, it's, it was just, there was none of it. They just weren't doing it. Yeah. And after it's all said and done, it didn't make no difference. None, none whatsoever. You know, and that was a nice break for me and her to be able to get out there. Yeah. You know, and she traps right alongside me you know she's she's great and uh we just thank god we were you know blessing that we could get out there and do that and just be away from all of it here in new york when they were completely locked down so i i should i should talk with her she could probably got some pretty good stories she'd tell on you <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah we won't do those ones live <laughs> so uh all right well, well i sure do thank you rich i'm glad you contacted me about this and yeah, it was good. Uh-huh. Do you uh, have a, a website or anything you you want to give a shout out uh, for your ADC business? Uh, well, the ADC business, Capsule ADC. Um, you know, if anything on Facebook, you know, people can find me there if they're interested in the the, the trapping seminar for New York. You know, um, you know that there they'd be able to find me, Mark Spanti, or I have a my group on there is the Complete Trapper. Okay. Um, and I keep the details in that on there for the elite trapping seminar if anybody's interested. Can so, I be a member of the New York Association? Absolutely. Send yeah. me an email, bud. Yeah, we'll make it happen for sure. <laughs> I wanna, I want, I wanna. I, 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 yeah. I want to see everybody look at everybody's face when I tell them that I'm a member of the New York Trappers <laughs> Association. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what, you be there's an awful lot of good trappers out of New York absolutely you know, no 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 i'm not i don't mean that i just it's uh but but people just don't you know around the country it's you yeah. know it's new york <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> well thank you very much sir okay thank you you have a good evening you 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 too and uh thank you everybody for for joining us i hope you've enjoyed this as much as we have this could go on for hours and hours but uh maybe we will uh see you all down the line all right take care